I am thrilled to announce that An Actor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym, and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at Kind Farms Inc., all one word. That's K I N D P H A R M S I N C. And their website is kindfarmsinc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is Ryan10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Today, my guest is one of the greatest actors in the world, Carla Cugino. You know her from things like The Haunting of Hill House, Entourage, Sin City, Watchmen, Spy Kids, Californication. She has a wonderful play running right now at Atlantic Theater Company called Anatomy of a Suicide. It's so touching and one of the most moving pieces I've seen in theater in a very long time. And I got the chance to see it. and I was so grateful that she came on to talk about the work. Here it is. Carla Cugino, welcome to An Actor Despairs. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So happy to be here. Thank you so much for being here. You know, I spoke about this with Kathleen Turner when she was on the podcast. And actor and actress, like, I don't really like that difference because it pits us against each other because we're doing the whole craft. But you are one of the greatest actors in the world that I have ever seen. Like, you've been such a hero of mine and watching you work, like, the decisions and the choices you make, they're so grounded and they're so moving. And like, I've seen you come in certain shows and you come in like a hurricane and make such a beautiful presence. And then it's so felt. And that's such a hard thing to do, especially when like a show's already existing and everything you've done in your movies, Watchmen, Sin City. Like, I love watching you work. You're, Thank you so you're one much. of the greatest of all time. And then last night I got to see you on stage in Anatomy of Suicide at Atlantic Theater Company. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am so appreciative of that. And, uh, uh, you know, anytime you can just say when I was talking to Kathleen Turner, I think you should. <laughs> that wasn't like a name um, drop. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no, but it's, truly, it's, you're one uh, of the greatest. You're, you're in my you. top five. Like, I love, wow. it, you've really thank been you. such an inspiration watching you work. It's, it's incredible and everything you've done, you know, so entourage and Californication. You've done some really fun things. <laughs> I know. It's really, thank you. I, I'm so appreciative. You know, it's something that, um, I decided to do super young and it, it, it was, yeah, it was, it, so it means a lot to me because it is kind of aside from the people that I love, it's the love of my life for yeah. sure. 
so I usually like to start at the beginning. You grew up in Florida? Yeah, so I was I was born in Sarasota, Florida. Wow. What was that um, like? That was uh well I was there I was there till I was very I was very young when I moved from there the first time. Um I then moved and lived all up and down the California coast with my mom. We lived wow. in a teepee in Big Sur. Uh sounds like a dream. <laughs> I know. I, I was gonna say I was gonna say I should say this accurately because it's been said so many times that I should not mess up my own story, which is that I lived in a teepee in Paradise, California. I lived in a van in Big Sur and also a house in Big Sur, but um, it was definitely 70s hippie. My mom came from a very conservative family. Wow. And so it was. there was a moment where I said she was a hippie and she was highly offended. And I said, Mom, I thought that was, I, that's a compliment to yeah. me. Um, I, I mean, you know, and, and then I realized, like, of course, coming from her generation, that was sort of, uh, a, you know, a derogatory term on some level. <laughs> but she really opened me up to a lot of things that, you know, I bathed in the river and in paradise. We, you know, she erected our teepee. We lived with these gold miners in this in this bus nearby. Wow. And it's actually funny because one of the podcasts that I listened to of yours was Morgan's. Oh, Morgan Spector. Yeah, yeah. And I realized that we have a very similar Northern California sort of bohemian period that I was unaware of. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So like, how did the arts thing happen? Was that kind of a natural progression of all this? Um, yeah, you know, bohemian lifestyle. I know, right? <laughs> Probably somewhat, because I do think to be an actor, you really do have to, um, have a nomadic spirit. Yeah. Um, and be able to sort of have someone say to you, like, you're going to Thailand tomorrow and you're going to play a different human being and yeah. pack your bags and let's go and have that sound great as opposed to, you know, just terrifying, um, which it would to so many people, I think. Um, but, um, you know, my aunt Carol, um, her, her full name is Carol Merrill and she was on a show called Let's Make a Deal with Monty Hall, okay. which was sort of like the first sort of Vanna White. She was like this, this, uh, model, um, and actress and spokeswoman. And, uh, and she basically, I, when I was 13, I was living in La Jolla with my mom and, uh, I got to, um, I was interested in fashion and photography. So I ended up, Whoa. um, g- getting into modeling more because of the fashion and photography aspect of it because I'm short and I, I wouldn't necessarily. But you're um, beautiful, um, obviously. You're very yeah, kind. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I ended up getting recruited by um, Elite Petite uh, to come to New York wow. when I was 13 for a month and go on all of these go sees, as they were called then. And, In the model um, apartment, exactly. <laughs> we totally had a model apartment. We yeah. were supposed to have a chaperone. We yeah. didn't. We had a lot of rats. So Zoolander uh, movie being kind completely of <laughs> full on, full on. And I was like this crunchy California kid, so I was like, I already had done like a candida cleanse and yoga. And, like, yeah. I was like super like, I was like, what is happening in New yeah, York City? Because it can be pretty uptight and prissy. It, it was also, yeah. it was like really um, overwhelming at that time too, you know, being sent on subways where I didn't know where I was going. And yeah. and anyway, um, I ended up calling her um, that summer and I said, you know, I don't want to, I never want to quit anything, but I'm not sure this is for me. And she said, you know don't, you're not quitting, like come, come stay with me for the summer. And there's this amazing acting class that I think you would really love yeah. with this man named Gene Bua, who, um, rest in peace is no longer with us, but was an amazing acting teacher in LA. And I went and stayed with she and my uncle, um, for a period of time. And I took this class and I, it was a cold reading class. I'll never forget it. Cause I had wow. studied a little bit in school and I had done some plays in school, but I was a total academic. Like my parents would have never thought that I would have gone into the arts. I, I drew in things, but it, yeah. I was a very like cerebral kid. And, um, I went, into this class and I'll never forget I was I did a scene what's funny is I don't even remember what the scene was wow. I did this scene and I remember thinking oh my god I can I am being asked to let go of control in a controlled environment yeah. And that to me was this incredibly exhilarating feeling yeah. um and I just remember 
walking out of that door and calling my parents and saying, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And they actually took me seriously because I was such a serious kid. And, and that's amazing. Within about, I guess, maybe six months or a year, I was sort of booking, you know, one line roles on, on television Co-star, shows and stuff star, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to my life right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Yeah. They all, one yeah. thing, as David Lynch says, one thing leads to another. Yeah. And how was that? Like, did, were you in LA at this point then? Or uh, I was in Los Angeles yeah. and I ended up staying in Los Angeles wow. uh, for that, from that moment on. Um, my uh, Carol actually sort of managed me for a period of time and um, I got an agent and um, it was really fortunate that way for me. You know, it was, it was kind of those things that are, as we know, they don't come easily. Yeah. Um, but uh, my first role was a guest star on Webster. Wow. Uh, and then Didn't I did you do the Wonder Years. I did the Wonder Years. That was like a step up for me because wow. I had done like Al- <laughs> Alf and Who's the Boss. No disrespect to those shows, but yeah. the Wonder Years I had a great role in. Yeah. And that was, yeah. A great show. Doogie Hauser. Yeah. yeah. A bunch of those things at that, that time. That was amazing. Yeah. And then what was it like earning those kind of early credits? Were you, do you feel like that was kind of your film school, so to speak, going on all those different sets? And, you know, it was interesting because I, I study, I re- remain studying and I always studied from the start. Um, but I didn't end up having any kind of formal education for it because I was looking into universities and 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 I looked at various places that I ultimately got this sort of what was a really big gig for me at the time when I was 17 and chose to decide to you know, kind of learn through the work as yeah. opposed to going to school. And, and again, I think those are things are so personal and, and it would have, it was the last thing I ever imagined for myself because I'd always loved school actually, I always got good grades and all that stuff. But I think when you move a lot, I think that you either, you go one of two ways. I think either school becomes that constant that you really find yeah. to be secure and feel really good, yeah. or it becomes something you can never quite attach to in any of the places. So totally. I, you know what I mean? A totally. lot of like nomadic people, I feel like you either end up sort of like being a really great student or a really shitty student and it could go either way. Yeah. Um, but that was definitely my kind of constant. Um, Act, acting kind of became your constant. Uh, for sure. Yeah. Acting, acting ended up be, I took it as seriously as I would have any school. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I learned, um, I have learned on the job for sure over the years and, and had the great fortune to work with incredible people that I could learn from yeah. too. Well, I, 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 you know, I imagine, you know, being as beautiful as you are, it can be both a blessing and a curse. And in, in the nineties, were, were you being positioned in certain roles that you didn't really want to do? Or like, you know, right now we live in a time of like strong female, powerful women and like you paved that way, you know, like everything you've done, it's like, you've, it's been so nuanced and I, I, it's incredible to me, you know, like, thank you. You know, it's interesting. Um, I do think it's super cool to see the shift yeah. and I feel like, you know, in this big scheme of life, I'm relatively young still. And yet even from when I was in my twenties to seeing people that I'm working with in my twenties now who women in particular, um, there's also an assurance that your voice wants to be heard yeah. that, that there are so many young women who are creating their own material, directing, totally. writing, all of those things. And I think, I felt that that was something that um, maybe there wouldn't be even a place for yeah. on some level. Um, so uh, for sure, though, something that that was uh, that I feel the same way now as I felt when I was thirteen, and I really did at that moment. I saw Sophie's Choice yeah. and I saw Silkwood all in one in one summer, and um, I was like, "This is what I want to do with 
my life, this woman, Meryl Streep, someone that nobody knows of, I know, but my own, my own discovery, <laughs> yeah. um, that she played these two women that were very different than my life experience. I wouldn't have understood a woman who worked in a factory or a woman who had to make the choice that Sophie had to make under yeah. the context that she had to make it. Um, and yet I, both of those movies finished and I felt like I got a view into another world and yeah. I understood another human being. And it became really important to me that, um, that my job as an actor is to give empathy and both to myself and to other people. It's the, it affords us the ability to see the world through different people's eyes. Totally. And I think that that is the way that we can help in our small way to heal the world, you know? And so, uh, you know, again, back to my hippie roots for sure. But, um, but it, it, so at the very beginning, what was interesting is that I never, even when I looked like an ingenue, I yeah. never sounded like an ingenue. I always had a deep voice and I always had this kind of, so there was a key moment for me that I realized, oh, I could become famous yeah. um, or I could decide to pave what will probably be a longer path. Um, and that is to be a transformational actor who hopefully you can believe in anything. Yeah. And, um, and so for a long time, a lot of years, it was a very confusing career to people and people would go, wait a minute, you played the mom and spy kids, but the lesbian parole officer in Sin City, yeah. or, you know, you did Athel Fugard's, you know, road to Mecca, but you're doing, um, you know, whatever you could sucker punch or whatever, yeah. like you could, yeah. you know, and people were like, I don't understand. And thankfully, I think the one advantage of having done it now for more than 30 years is that it has been received as a body of work at this point. Um, and, um, so yeah, so I do feel for sure, um, there were things that people wanted me to do that I didn't want to do and I didn't do. And then there were things though, that were things that I didn't see myself doing, but because of some instinctual connection I did and turned out to be super fun, like the son-in-law, a totally silly movie that still people come up to me about. Um, I ended up loving Polly, uh, Polly Shore. We, we had a great time on that movie. Um, you know, it was like, and, and that was, um, so that's the other thing that I think you realize with age, I guess, or just time yeah. is that like we were saying, like one thing leads to another. You never know what thing like from that. I ended up having a director, Marty Callner, who called me to do this Bon Jovi music video called Always wow. that ended up being this huge video at the time. He was he had also directed Alicia Silverstone. Um, uh, oh, I know and, exactly. In the, in the gas yeah. pumping Aerosmith video. Yeah. Um, and told, Liv Tyler. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he but, had done this, too. So there's very much like movies as wow. videos at that time. Yeah. And um, and so then that kind of came from that. And then that was a strange like thing that I just did kind of for fun, but then it ends up being like, you know, this international audience of millions who sort of, uh, you know, associated me with that. And then, so it's just been, you know, and, and, and again, these things keep sort of unfolding. So I think, I think what I learned was go where the love is and never say never because Anytime I say, Oh, I'm never going to do, I end up, you know, I also said, Oh, I, I, I'm never, I'm not interested in a sitcom. And then, um, Spin City came my way. Yeah. And then I was like, Well, of course I want to work with Mike, Michael J. Fox. He is a genius in that medium. Why yeah. would I not want to go work with him? Yeah. You know, so I just realized these statements we make to try to sort of have some sort of control. Totally. Um, are, are illusory anyway. So, so tactically, when you kind of get a certain project, do you try to kind of do something different then after next? It seems to be the way it, yeah. it happens. I don't try too, but that does seem like, like right now, you know, you've been able to see Anatomy of a Suicide. Yes. Um, at Atlantic Theater Company until March yes, 15th. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes, till the 15th. Um, and, uh, you know, that's something that does take a toll in, and it's worth it. It's it's such a beautiful play. Yeah. But it's a play that um, Alice Birch, our writer, is, you know, unapologetically um, 
it's challenging for the audience and yeah. for and for the actors, but in a way that so many people have walked out just insanely moved. And then I've gotten a numerous emails three days later with people going, I couldn't really speak after, but this is what I want to say about my experience. Wow. And so that's been really gratifying. But I certainly can say, um, you know, uh, I <laughs> I am going to do Streetcar, which is not a comedy next, but um, but I do feel definitely the need for if somebody came Wait, and said, like, when are you like, doing that? Um, at Williamstown. No way. With Audra McDonald. This summer? Uh-huh. Oh, I'm coming. Um, and, yeah, and Bobby Cannavale. And, uh, oh, my and God. Robert O'Hara is directing us. Yeah. What the hell? I know. Why is that not on Broadway? I know. Well, <laughs> you never know. Uh, but yeah, we're doing it Stella? at Williamstown. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Stella. I know. I, I thought I might have like passed my Stella prime. No. So I feel very glad. Oh man. That's amazing. Um, so that's really exciting. But yes, but the, 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 though that is not it, 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 I definitely do feel like if somebody said like, hey, do you want to come and do something really funny for a week or yeah. two? I'd be like, yes. Totally. <laughs> you know. Well, yeah. So speaking of fun, like, you know, you, you did like Spy Kids. Yeah. I, I imagine that was something you know when that was pitched to you yeah. you know kids movies that was kind of the first one that was like really sure. such a franchise success how did that end up coming your way like talk to me about that because that that's robert rodriguez it is, right? yeah uh, who i've now you know i did four movies with um and i adore um it's funny because uh that is actually a really crazy story which was i was doing the last season i was just on for the last season of a medical show called chicago hope yeah and uh, I was playing a neurosurgeon and I had gotten to go watch a brain surgery, which was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. Again, actors, we are so fortunate um, when those kind of opportunities emerge. Yeah. Um, but um, I got this call saying a casting director named Mary Vernu, wonderful casting director. She also cast for Quentin Tarantino and she's great. Um, she was casting uh, the movie and, and uh, I was told, you know, Robert wants to meet you for the role um, of the mother and yeah. wife and Antonio Banderas has set the kids are set someone was going to do it but they got pregnant and so they had to drop out and we've been shooting for two weeks and you know and you were on none of the lists because you're 10 years too young for the role i was 27 and i was 27 when i did spy kids wow and um i know isn't that crazy like i'm the right age now um and so um so basically, I thought, well, Antonio and I had done a movie together with Sarah Jessica Parker and Mia Farrow and a bunch of amazing people, yeah. Paul Mazursky, um, that David Frankel had directed called Miami Rhapsody, yeah, Gil yeah. Bellows. And um, so I thought, God, did Antonio suggest me? Maybe Antonio suggested me. I don't know. But it was all very time sensitive. And I had just um, – I had just – paid this big amount of money to take this very special, intensive Spanish course that was non-refundable. Um, and I really wanted to learn Spanish. And I had thought, Did you? Uh, no, <laughs> no, I'm so mad. Um, My last but, name's Perez and I don't even know it. <laughs> I mean, it's just, uh, so anyway, so basically I, um, I said, well, I just have to finish this one week course. Yeah. Um, and then I'll, I would love to, to, to meet him. And they said, well, you, you know, unfortunately you can't like he, you actually have to meet him in New York this weekend because they're in the middle of shooting. And if you get it, you would need to go. This is a Friday. You'd need to go on Monday and yeah. start shooting. So I had to let go of the class, which was a, like, like I said, I'd been saving up for this class, but I thought, well, Robert Rodriguez, maybe I'll learn Spanish. You yeah. Know? So, um, on set and Antonio. So I fly to New York, um, on, uh, and I'm on a red eye and I look and there's this woman and she's next to me and she says, are you Carly Gugino? And I said, yes. And she said, and obviously I wasn't very known at that time. So it was unusual for somebody to know my name and say it right. And, and I, and I said, yes, I, you know, and she said, I, she said, you're going to, to, for spy kids. Right. And I said, yes, who are you? And she said, I'm the costume designer. I'm coming to fit you. 
at which point I was like, hmm, maybe I'm closer to this job than I yeah. think. So Robert and I um, end up... Was that the first time you met? Um, that was the first time wow. we'd ever met. Yeah. And um, his wife at the time, uh, who was his producer, Elizabeth Avion, who went on to produce many movies with him after that as well... Um, I get there and she's in the hotel room and she said, we don't fly together on the same plane ever because we have four kids and we like to never be on the same plane at the oh, same wow. time. And she said, so he, his plane got delayed, but here, sit in this hotel room, read the new draft of the script. He'll be here by the time you finish. I finished the script. Robert comes in and he basically tells me that, again, I was on none of the lists. Um, that's why he, this came about so last minute, yeah. but that he was in his trailer and one of the kids, the, my, the kid who played my son, Junie, yeah. um, his twin brother, fraternal twin, not identical, and I had done a Hallmark Hall of Fame movie together with Mae Whitman and Laura Dern played my sister in it. Wow. Um, we d- had done this uh, called uh, Season for Miracles. It was a Christmas movie. And I did it mostly just to be, do something for the kids in my family because yeah. I done all this stuff that like the young people in my family couldn't see and so i was like oh good this is like a tame christmas movie whatever and we had a lovely time on it but so they he gets a knock on his door robert rodriguez on his trailer and um and daryl who sabara who played junie says um i uh i think i know who should be the mom and he's like, what? He said, here. And he hands him Season for Miracles. And Ro- a D- like a DVD, probably even, I'm thinking VCR at the time. Yeah. And Robert is, has a little bit of ADD. So he's like, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched some of it. And I thought she's really good, but she seems, you know, she is young for this. And then I saw your Q&A, your EPK at the end. Wow. And your answers were so mature. And so that I thought, I think I could believe her as a mom. Totally. And I basically feel like I'm looking for a mom for my kids. So he shows me a sizzle reel that's really cool of about 10 minutes of what they'd already been filming. And he said, um, I said, so at this point, I'm just like, I love this guy. And I just want to find yeah. him. Uh, I just want to find the woman for this role if it's not me. Because maybe I'm too young, but like, we've got to find him a great mom for his kids totally. in this movie. So um, I said, so I looked at him and I said, very honestly, I was like, so who do you think you want to play the mom? And he goes, I'm thinking you, what do you think? And I was like, I mean, I think I'm young for it. I'd love to do it. Yeah. But, and he was like, here, my mom had 10 kids by the time she was like almost your age. If we do our job right, no one will question it. And <laughs> no one did. And that was, you know, we were off to the races and that was that. That's amazing. Isn't that crazy? And, but did they have an, I mean, I guess you can't plan for that to be a franchise, right? That They didn't have yeah. a plan. Yeah. yeah. It was just one of those movies that took off. They let us make it on our own yeah. in Austin, Texas. People rarely came to visit the set. He just created this beautiful movie that was like to this day, um, People still try to kind of capture that spirit, and I, I don't know. think anyone else has yeah. in that way. It was really magic. Yeah. And then that obviously led to Sin City. And what, then that led to Sin City, yeah. What was that like? I mean, that film is like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's timeless. Yeah. I mean, it's so out of its time. That was a fascinating experience because, first of all, you know, I'm scantily clad um, in that movie, and Lucille, the character, doesn't give a shit, you know, because yeah. she's, she's a lesbian parole officer, and, you know, Mickey Rourke is there in front of her, and she's like, I don't care. Yeah. Um, but it was the entire crew from Spy Kids. So I felt like I I was like basically oh, no. like, you know, getting, getting naked in front of my family. You yeah. know, I was like, hi guys, yeah. nice to see you again. Um, but uh, all, all joking aside, what was fascinating about that was we had decided, um, and that part was shot first. They sort of strayed from this notion as the filming continued on that movie. But um, initially, it was truly frame for frame the graphic novel. Wow. So our se- our section, Marv and Lucille, and that whole section was uh, Frank Miller was there with us every day, and we had um, we had basically three monitors. And you know, Robert was so ahead of his time that way. So this was still all like slightly analog ish. Yeah. But we had um we had a, a bl- we had a 
monitor just with the actual frame of the graphic novel. Yeah. And then we had a monitor with a green screen version that we were in. And then we had that monitor turned black and white. So it was truly working from the outside in. It was not your typical process or my typical process of sort of like, where does character emerge from the inside? And then how does behavior come from that? It was very much like, She's leaning this way. Her, she's on the right elbow. She's, so we were technically had to be beholden to very, you know, kind of like constructs that ended up being really interesting and really, um, I always love, I love anything that I can learn from that's yeah. something new. Stylistically, you're yeah. so ahead of its and, time. And, and parameters are just good. Yeah. You know, I mean, I really do believe that. And I think that's why, um, you know, I think it's why it's hard. Some people have done it successfully, but very few. It's so hard to be brilliant as an actor and also direct yourself. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, I think you can be a really strong, give a very strong performance, but they are two different things because one is so immersive and the other one needs to have an eye on everything at all times. Totally. So whenever I see a movie that somebody has starred in and directed and their performance is amazing, I find it almost inconceivable. Yeah. Um, but, um, but so in that way, I was happy to have those kind of parameters just cause it was such a weird experiment anyway, that movie. Um, and, uh, but I had a great time. Yeah. And I, loved I mean, and the end result is incredible. Yeah. Your character is so amazing. Yeah, and she's cool. that was like right before Mickey started the comeback of for the sure. wrestler. For sure. How was it working with him? Was that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was, um, he was, he was amazing to work with. He was really committed to that character. Yeah. And I also think, you know, with Mickey, because he has, you know, he boxed for so long and he has had like, you know, things that have happened to his face. Yeah. He looks different than he used to. I think that that's sort of something he, he was such a incredibly good looking young man. Totally. And I think that everything Diner. sort of changed for him exactly yeah. in that way. And Marv as a character allowed him to be kind of like, um, grotesque on yeah. some level as a character and yet also still very virile and, and kind of like, and, 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 and genuine hearted, which he is. And so I felt like it gave him this kind of just, just as an observer, it gave him this kind of freedom that was really beautiful to see. Well, and speaking of of tactical shifts, then, you know, now we live in an era of television bubble, you know, Apple, Facebook, everyone's got it. But back in the day, it was like just HBO and then just the ABC. For sure. And then you did Entourage, which at that time is like, I would say it was bigger than Game of Thrones ever was. I I mean, that show was the biggest show ever. (laughs) That show was massive. What was it like switching from Sin City to like something like that? Was that fun for you? Was that a good time? So fun. That was a crazy thing because, um, again, I don't know. I didn't think I was going to come in with the one thing leads to another David Lynch theme, but I realized it is so true. Um, because that one I was doing, um, night of the museum in, uh, in, uh, it's like all of my things are based on when I was doing certain jobs, but I was doing night at the museum in Vancouver. And I had also come to do Scott Frank's first movie with Joe Gordon Levitt and Jeff Daniels, um, and Matthew good, um, in Winnipeg for just a couple days on that. I'm going to, I'm just spacing out on the name of it. I'll, I'll remember in a second. And so I had flown back to Vancouver from Winnipeg. I was filming night at the museum and I got this call saying they would love for you to play this role of Manda on entourage. There's only one script written, but, um, you know, Doug Allen would love to speak with you, the creator of the show. Yeah. If you read one script and he can tell you where he thinks it's going. Um, and the only caveat is you can do the whole show, most of the show when you finish doing this movie, but we need you to come down like next week for this Lakers game because we had to have floor house seats. Oh, cause on, there's that one on, scene. Yeah, it's a scene right. where I've taken yeah. over. Like I've, yeah. like I'm trying to steal. You bump into Piven it, or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, uh, and, um, and I, I think it's funny. I think some of us had like Joel Silver's seats. I can't remember whose seats 
seats who donated yeah. their seats for us. But so anyway, um, so I talked to Doug. I love the script immediately. I was like, she's fucking awesome. Yeah, I want to play this so character great. immediately. Um, and, uh, I want her to be my agent. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, me too. I'm like, yes, that is yeah. a good agent. And I modeled her after, um, she's her own entity, but I did take influence from two amazing female agents that I know, um, in the business. And, um, and so, Anyway, um, I, I, I get there, we, I go down and I, I mean, it was so, it was the most distracted I've ever been. Cause you know, if you've done theater, yeah. it's hard to distract you because you know, people might get up and walk out. People might cough. People might, the phone might ring. So I find that actors who do theater are much less distractible than yeah. film actors totally. oftentimes just because in a film set, it's so quiet that if a pen drops, somebody can be distracted by yeah. it, you know? Um, so, um, so anyway, it's hard to distract me. Um, but we were, um, I was literally watching, I mean, may he rest in peace, Kobe. I was like watching like oh, yeah, this God. unbelievable game while trying to remember my lines, but it's a real game that's yeah. happening. So I, I was, it was like, there's no pause. It was just, yeah. it was just sensory <laughs> overload on every level. Um, and so, but I did shoot that scene and, uh, and we had a great time and then went on to do a few seasons of that show. Yeah. And from that, um, Zack Snyder and Debbie Snyder were big fans and, and that's, you, and Watchmen. that's where Watchmen came. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. How so was that? Um, because that, that's another stylistic kind of I in that know, Sin City I vein. Know. Do you well, like working on the? Because like I think so much of those films are in post, is, yeah. and that requires such immense acting and patience. Like, For sure. How do you work technically on that without giving away your secrets? Yeah, of, no. I would say that question you're asking is even more apt for something like uh, San Andreas. Yeah. Because San Andreas, the entire the entire section once Dwayne and I get on the boat, yeah. other than one day was all green screen. Wow. So the entire city was built in post. So we were literally with a machine, a rain machine, a wind machine, a, a, a boat on a, um, you know, like sort of, what are they called even, um, where you're like something that's moving the boat. Oh, the oscillating um, machine. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And, um, so that took a lot of imagination. Um, for sure, where, you know, you're looking at a tennis ball falling, but it's actually the building that your daughter is in that's yeah. cr crumbling down. So those are the things that I really do, do give so much credit to all of the, you know, Marvel actors and everything yeah. like that, because it is, I mean, you know, obviously these are wonderful actors who happen to be doing Marvel movies at the moment, but those things do require wonderful actors because otherwise, you know, it just looks sort of like nothing's happening because yeah. nothing is um, on, on the actual stage. But um, Watchmen, it's interesting because I would say that Zach and Debbie create an environment that's very unusual, which is they, and I said this to them the first time I started working with them, they do, they're like, they make the biggest small movies in the sense that they feel like you're on a set that's like a million dollar movie yeah. um, in terms of the vibe, yeah. but yet they're making a 60 million or a hundred million dollar movie. Totally. Like it's this very tight knit familial intimate thing that doesn't feel like there's a corporate element to it at yeah. all. And um, so that was just much more, I mean, I'm, I'm a sucker for, you know, period pieces. And I, and, uh, I, and so I just loved what, what he happened to be saying politically was really interesting to me. And also, um, I loved the span that Sally Jupiter got, yeah. got to go. And I loved all that stuff in the twenties and thirties. And, you know, it was just so much fun. So cool. Yeah. What did you think of the the new one on HBO? I haven't gotten to see it. Oh, I hear it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it, come out since I have been literally yeah. like, I am a person who will wait. I never see anything's right, right. Anything right when they come out. And then I just watch them all at once. So yeah. I really do want to see it. I've heard it's wonderful. So, 
one of the reoccurring themes I talk about on this podcast, and, and I really mean this, like, you're so incredible, is like finding your voice. Mm. As you were working on all these projects, you know, do you feel like you, you always kind of found your voice early on and you knew, you know, who you were and what you wanted to do? Or do you feel like that's something you found as you went through the work? I feel like it's definitely something I found as I've gone uh, through the work for sure. Um, though I will say, interestingly enough, when I watch some older performances, like from when I was very young, some performances that were longer ago, I realized that I was who I w am, yeah. <laughs> but I just didn't know it quite yet in a weird way. Um, but there's no doubt that I think um, we're so fortunate as actors to get to have to confront um, the, the demons in ourselves and also um, the strength that we might be able to, yeah. to do, you know, to have, um, to harness, um, it, it's just a profession that makes you constantly challenge yourself, yeah. um, and, and therefore grow. And I think that, uh, along the way, I would say that the biggest defining sort of thing that shifted for me is that, um, I believe I started just by nature kind of wanting to get the approval from the outside and wanting to, you know, it, there's no doubt, of course, for all of us that yeah. it feels Validation. better. Yeah. It yeah. feels better to have somebody say nice things than not. Yeah. Um, but I think now what I realize is what feeds me in the long term is gratifying work. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I hope that I'll be able to be doing that work until the day I die, you oh, know, you when will. they're pulling me off the stage. But I, um, so, so in that way, I think I am more interested in seeing the world from the inside out and, and that, makes me a better, braver artist. Yeah. You know? And then I'm, I'm curious, you know, having all this momentum and a television career that's successful, a film career that's successful. I'm curious, like, did you always have an imperative to do theater as well? Like, was there always like, I need to get back to the stage? Was there a yearning for that? Um, you know, what's interesting, there has been for the last, uh, I guess, 15 years. But before that, no, all my dreams were built on film and television, because that was sort of what I was raised with. Yeah. Um, that was I started in Los Angeles. And that I'm was sure my, those are my opportunities. Two months yeah, in New no, York. Exactly. Yeah, and it was like yeah. sort of but I did have I did have the support ultimately of, of agents in the and and of wanting me to do theater as well because I, I did want to sort of break my way into it. But Michael Mayer, um, who, you know, directed Spring Awakening. Yeah, and I just so had Glenn Flesher on. He was yeah, talking about oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's extraordinary. Yeah. He's done so many things besides that. But um but he was directing Arthur Miller's After the Fall. Yeah. And Arthur was still alive at the time, shortly before he passed away. And Peter Krause played Quentin, the lead character in that From Six and, Feet Under, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love him. He's, He's great. so good. Yeah, yeah. And um and Jessica Hecht, I mean there was just so many um so many amazing actors in that in that play, um, Candy Buckley. Anyway, so many great people. But um, that I, f I auditioned from Los Angeles for that play and I fought really hard for it. And I ended up playing the character of Maggie, who's based on Marilyn. Yeah. And um, I somehow was able to, there were so many seasoned Broadway actresses that wanted to play that role. And I, I, that was your first Broadway and credit. That was my first Broadway wow. credit. And, um, I got it and I got here and it was at the American airlines theater. And I, um, I was roundabout. It was roundabout. It, yeah. And the second I stepped onto the stage, I felt at home and it was the most bizarre juxtaposition because I knew how to act obviously, of course. but what I didn't know, I didn't know anything about 
what it was to do a play in New York. I didn't know which nights were better nights, quote unquote. I didn't know um, what a Thursday night audience was like. I didn't know about a matinee. I didn't know how much I needed to project for the back row under the mez to hear me. I didn't know, you know, there were so many things. And it was, and I was given a great gift by a friend who said, you know, just take advantage of being a baby yeah. in that aspect of it, of of being new to it all. And it worked really well for also my character because I was playing a character, Marilyn, who had this kind of um, just nature that was like just hatched, you know? Yeah. And so it was a, it was a revelatory experience. Um, the Broadway community really embraced me, which was amazing. And it was the beginning of what would be um, – the opportunity to do some incredible plays. And for sure, I mean, the last play before this, uh, before um, Anatomy that I had done was A Kid Like Jake by Daniel Pearl um, at LCT3 at Lincoln Center. And that was six years ago. So for the last three years, I've been really chomping at the bit to do a play and I just haven't gotten to. Um, So I'm so excited that I get to do two in a row. So let's talk about Anatomy of a Series. So how did that come your way? Um, uh, oh, I will say briefly, just because it's such a good quote, it's such a crazy quote. Um, when Arthur Miller saw our first run of that play, oh, yeah. he said something so crazy. He was like, we were so nervous. And he said, uh, oh, I forgot a lot of that play. Uh, he said, it's pretty good. Uh, and then he said, and then he said, and I, I didn't, he said, I, I realized I didn't know why I was writing it at the time. Yeah. He said, I thought I was writing it about people, which I was, but I was also writing about a change of times from all for one and one for all to every man for himself. And we've oh. never gone back. Jesus. I know. And we were all just like, whoa. Wow. Um, but anyway, it was it was extraordinary to have what, him there. Was it difficult for you doing the eight shows a week? Like, did that, like, just tenacity-wise, like, was that a huge transition for you all of a sudden having to, like, say the same thing over and over again and yeah. having audience reacting different every yeah. time? Yeah. It was definitely a, a learning curve, more really, frankly, vocally for me. Yeah. Because I do have, like, I, I tend to be more, I think if you're more of a nasal person, your voice just sustains better. Got it. And now I know how to do it. But at the time, it was, um, you know, I just didn't know how much voice rest I needed or didn't need. or yeah. So there was all that kind of stuff that I was figuring out. Um, but I've never chosen an easy play. I've never chosen a light play for yeah. some reason. It's just happened that way. So all of the shows I've done have eventually been, um, I, I get pretty tired by the end. I'm sure. But Especially also, this one. Yeah, <laughs> but they also do feed you. And that's the I'm good thing to remember. I'm glad you're smiling today. Is, yeah, no, is that they, is that they, give you, <laughs> they give you the energy. I know. And back at it tonight. Yeah. But, um, but uh, yeah, so Anatomy of a Suicide. Um, uh, Alice Birch, I think, has written, and I don't say this, I don't use this term lightly um, or cavalierly. I think she's written a brilliant script yeah. um, uh, as because you've seen it, you know, it's technically like almost like a piece of music. Yeah. Um, it's scored. Um, and uh, I mean, down to, you know, when a character has a pause, there's a period on that line. Yeah. So, you know, that, that line or there, and she'll also capitalize certain words that she wants emphasis on, but it isn't, but she allows, it, there's a lot of, um, uh, freedom within that, but it, speaking of parameters, they're really interesting parameters to play within. It's also an exploration of, of women, birth, death, suicide, what we inherit, yeah. what we take with us, what we want to shed, what we're able to shed. Um, are we able to shed what comes uh, in our genetic totally. line? You know, all of those questions. Trauma. Yeah. yeah trauma. Yeah. And I really love that she asks a lot of questions. She probes deeply and it doesn't give a lot of answers. So I think it does. You do leave there seeing these powerful, interesting, complex 
characters. You know, I, I think playing Carol was so interesting to me because so often I've played extremely verbal roles, you know, more say, say more like the role of Anna might be written. Yeah. And in this case, you know, what I was really struck with, especially when we started staging it, was how Carol is so solitary so much of the time. Yeah. She's just alone a lot and nobody understands her and nobody listens yeah. to her. So throughout the entire play, she's saying, I'm frightened. She's saying, no, she's saying all these things and no one's listening. And finally, by the end of her journey, she's saying, I'm fine. And maybe someone finally hears it, but it's too late. I don't know, you know? So it's, it's, uh, so I, I also was really interested in that, that generational shift where then Anna has a different kind of, um, manifestation of her, of her madness or her depression or whatever you might want to call it. And then you come full circle to Bonnie, who has a, a world, today's world, which yeah. is more supportive and communicative about these things. And you know that maybe she might have a shot yeah. at beginning a new life. Yeah. Um, and not carrying that with her. But, uh, Liliana Blaine Cruz is a really exceptional director. And what's really cool about Liliana too is not only is she super talented and visually, I think has done some beautiful things with this, but she also is an innate warmth and, uh, passion for life yeah. and Alice's words and her, her tone is, is this sort of deep, icy connection to the world. She's not icy as a person at all, but yeah. I find that this play and a lot of her words have this sort of, and maybe because she's British also, there's this kind of, um, the temperature is actually cold of it. Yeah. And Liliana's temperature is very warm and the combination of those two blend well, um, blend really yeah. well, I think. Yeah. Wow. And was that a difficult play to rehearse? Cause like so many of the cues, like you, there's so many different yeah. things happening at the same time. Like mm. was that, was there a really long rehearsal period for that? It was, we needed a long rehearsal period. We did not have a long rehearsal period we had three and a half weeks and it was oh my god and i thought perhaps it was because you know i'm not a spring chick anymore and i was like maybe all the youngins are gonna uh are gonna like know this perfectly but it basically was the hardest thing for any of us to ever learn and joe who you just saw who plays joe in the play also and she also plays um the woman who sits down with me at the park bench and sort of comes on her she's great she she was like i had to throw away every single thing i know about how to learn lines because It was because basically what would happen is as soon as you would drop in and be present in your scene, you'd forget to take your cue from the other side of the stage on their fourth. I'm sorry. You know, and and then, you know, and then then you would be then you go, okay, so I have to just listen to that. And you'd be not present here. And finally, the two were able to coexist. But it was I've never, ever had an experience where I felt my brain was sore like your bicep can be sore. I felt like the combination of the deep emotional work and the mathematical musical work of the rhythms that needed to be played in terms of another Miller quote right there. (laughs) I know, I know, it's true. But it was just... It was just crazy. And I also had a very unusual circumstance, which I hope to never repeat, but I'm glad we pulled it off. The only way I could do the play was I had to go finish filming something that I was already obligated to in Vancouver. Okay. And I had to leave in the middle of tech and miss three days of tech to go film large speeches in a Northern English accent uh, on something else, which oh needs to be remain, remain nameless at the moment. Okay. Because, um, uh, uh, yes. All but, right. but, um, and then um, come back, have missed three days of tech and be in front of an audience for our first dress rehearsal, literally having never run the play on stage before. Are you serious? It was, it was, you can relate to this. It was 
a literal actor's nightmare. Like it was an actual actor's nightmare. Um, I would need like four Xanax. I, I mean, it was so <laughs> crazy. I can't even tell you. And so my, my solution was to get through it was, uh, aside from just thinking that maybe for the first time in my entire career, I would have to just run away. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't do it, but I really wanted to. I just looked at my dresser and I said, I need you to tell me which scene I'm entering, yeah. which scene I'm exiting, which door I'm entering and which door I'm ex- like, like I need, I need to know what scene I'm doing and which doors I'm entering and exiting from basically. Yeah. Uh, and, um, I, I just stayed super present and just did one scene at a time, but it was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. And for the first week and a half of that run, even though people didn't seem to notice, thankfully, um, we were in a position that we would, you'd never want to be in, which is you're literally backstage still running scenes together and going through your lines yeah. because it was that thing where none of us, you ended up, ultimately you ended up having to know everybody else's lines. Of course. And before we did, it would be if one person messed up, we wouldn't be able to save each other. Yeah. Now we can. So now if something happens where one line gets inverted, the everyone else can know what came comes adapt. next yeah. and adapt. So it's been an incredible example of an ensemble. Yeah. And it's been an incredible example of collaboration. And, um, you know, you are only as strong as your weakest link. And the amazing thing is we have the strongest links. We have such incredible yeah, actors. Incredible. It's just, and, yeah. and, and all of us were like of the same tribe. Like there's not a diva in the bunch. Everybody just wanted to come in and serve this piece yeah. and be able to share the story and, um, and, you know, strive for excellence. So. Yeah. And and I'm not giving anything away here because it, the title's Anatomy of yes. a Suicide. What what's it like? Like every night having the audience, you know, given the, the yeah. heaviness of that topic, yeah. do you feel that? For sure. Yeah. No, no, you definitely feel it. I mean, Alice, thankfully, Birch, Alice Birch has. Um, there's some comedy, as you saw. So there's some moments where you get to laugh and just take a breath as an audience member. But um, absolutely, no, this is a play that you really don't know how people need to process this stuff very differently. Yeah. And uh, and despite the title, which I think she kept very consciously so that people kind of knew what they were in for, I think still some people don't know quite what they're in for. So there are people who are openly weeping. There are people who get up and leave. Wow. Um, You've had walkouts. Yeah. Wow. There are people who, um, not many, and interestingly enough, the two times it happened, I'm not, I, there might've been one and one of them might've been last night. I think I did hear yeah. that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's at that, the end of that, of the scene, which I won't give too much away, but, um, I know exactly what you're, yeah. Yeah. Where I'm saying the yeah. same word over and over yeah. and, and, uh, and Anna is, has a, a speech about her life. Yeah. I think if you, that that stuff is so intense that if you didn't come for that night at the theater and you're not quite able to handle it, I yeah. think that's the time you get up and leave yeah. for understandable reasons. Um, you know, to me, I've never been interested in middle of the road anyway. And, and for me, um, I think one of the things theater can do, I'm also not interested in theater that just provokes for the, for the of sake course. of that. And what I do love is this play isn't a naturalistic examination of suicide. This is a highly stylized, really exquisite piece that goes very, deep into some existential questions, you know? And I think the thing is, if the biggest existential question is, you know, is suicide, is, is how do we crack life? Yeah. I am really intrigued in exploring life is really tricky, you know, and, and we all have these moments where we don't know how to crack life. And that feels like a very universal thing to me, um, to greater or lesser degrees. And so, um, you know, I want to allow the audience to have the process that they need to have in, as individuals. You know, I've had people who, like I said, just said, 
Uh, it was, I had, I couldn't even talk to you afterwards. I, I had to leave yeah. and process it. Other people who waited till I got downstairs to say hi and literally burst into tears, yeah. you know, other people, it's just, you know, it's, it's really, everyone has such a different response. No, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've spoke about on this podcast, I told you I'm, I'm sober and so I've yeah. dealt with some suicidal yeah. stuff and it, 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 it was really accurate just the way we experience trauma and the way the brain yeah. deals with it and how you're coping and how other people are understanding and not understanding. And yeah. I thought it was just so brilliant and it was such a wonderful piece and you're amazing you Thank know you. and i'm um, obviously my viewers will be bummed if i don't ask but like you've obviously had a huge hit of the haunting of hill house yeah what was that like you know being uh, in one of these netflix massive yeah. shows now that was incredible well i love mike flanagan so much uh who created that and we had done gerald's game together yeah. which is a stephen king adaptation uh that bruce greenwood and i did with with um, mike and so when mike asked me about haunting i um i was so excited to to do that and and um and I just love him as a filmmaker. He is a true auteur. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I was so excited to do the show, whether people dug it or not. Yeah, because you don't you know, know with Netflix because they, no. they, they bat so much. And I then know. when they hit a home run, they hit it. And that I one know. was like... And that show also is, again, not for the faint of heart. You totally. Know? That's so, kind of why. And if people wanted a typical horror show, they wouldn't have, they didn't get it. Well, you and know? it also really kind of deals um, with trauma. You big know? time. Yeah. Gr- grief and trauma and... and um, yeah, no, so that was... Uh, I, I would, you know... Uh, I, I hope to be collaborating with with him for very many years to come. Um, but I love, love, love doing that. And then, of course, doing Jet was an incredible experience. And I don't know if you've gotten to see Jet yet. No, I um, haven't. Uh, Jet is a show that I um, uh, co-produced also and star no in. And um, and Sebastian Gutierrez wrote and directed, who's my partner and who who is a, an exquisite writer and director. And what, we did what it. Network is um, that? Cinemax. 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 So well, you can watch it now through Hulu or um, Amazon Prime. It is. Uh, it is one of my favorite characters I have ever gotten to play. Wow. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito um, oh, is best. in it, and he's amazing. Yeah. Jodie Turner-Smith is in it. She's amazing. Um, uh, Chris Bacchus, Haita Jensen is an incredible group of people. Uh, Michael Aronov, who's an amazing theater actor yeah. and film actor, but he... Um, he is, I just, I just have seen so much of his work on the stage and he's just one of my favorite actors on the stage, but he is also equally amazing in film. But that, that show, that is a show that we're actually in the process of sort of trying to find a home for its second season because it got these incredible reviews. Yeah. People really responded to it. And, um, in the world that we are in today, um, AT&T bought HBO and all its subsidiaries and Cinemax now no longer exists. So literally no. our network was swallowed. Were, no, because um, they have the Nick and Corey and I all know. those shows. I know. I wonder- and none of them will ever, it's they, that they, they're making no more original content. Um, I wonder so, why that happened. So that's, wow. so that's what the deal is. And so basically, um, you know, there are a bunch of fans and a bunch of people who are really advocating for a second season and we hope to find yes. a place. Please, but uh, yeah, please um, make it but, happen. But it's um, but I think you will really dig that show. Actually, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I'm gonna it's, check it out. It's uh, I can say it took us uh, four years to make it with the people to make it right, and we made exactly the show we wanted to make. How so. did it come your way? Um, Sebastian uh, uh, wrote it and and gave it to me and said, "Do you want to do this?" And it was literally one of the best things I've ever read. And then we and then we you know, took a number of years, uh, to, we were, they were offered us to make it in, in certain ways with certain, in, like as a pilot, we wanted to shoot it as one long movie. There was yeah. a lot of things. And so we kept saying, no, 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 which is always scary. Cause yeah. you know, you always want to say yes when someone says they'll give you money to make something. And we waited and then HBO Cinemax came back to us and, and, uh, we made it all, we shot it all. Like we cross boarded it like a movie and the way you wanted to one do it. Nine hour movie. And, um, we had an incredible time shooting. We shot it in Toronto and, wow. um, yeah. So yeah. Was that your first time wearing the producer hat? 
that was my first time. I have produced some things, but that was my first time producing from the ground up in the sense of finding the casting director and helping cast all the people and wow. being you, literally you know, really from pre-production. On, exactly. Through. Through, yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. And then I'm curious, you know, because now we live in such a time, we kind of spoke about it briefly, like, you know, there's Marvel movies yeah. and then there's like indies right. and that middle American film doesn't exist yeah. anymore. So tactically as an actress now that you, you've worked in all different, what interests you, you know? I know it's interesting because we were talking about that, like, um, you know, just the fact that the other countries are still making really interesting movies that don't have to be these tiny sort of niche things, but all, or they don't have to be the intellectual the huge, property yeah, that you, yeah. have to, like, you know, it has to be on your water bottle or whatever. Um, uh, but w- I, I do think limited series are kind of in a weird way where yeah. that's gone, where the auteur driven work can, can come. Because again, back to Jet, since Sebastian wrote it and directed it and, uh, um, Johnny Klimek, we got this incredible, um, composer who composes all of Babylon Berlin's music oh, and Deadwood yeah. and he's incredible. And, um, but you know, we were, it, 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 so Sebastian really wore the producer hat on that. And, and it was a thing that would be the equivalent of say what you would say as a, as a, Quentin Tarantino movie or, uh, um, you know, the, the, um, the Coen brothers or yeah. people who their stamp is on it from beginning to end yeah. and yet people still get to see it. Yeah. So I think in a strange way, that's where it, it's almost like an extended version of a, of a movie, the movies yeah. we used to get, but I love to do it all. This yeah. is the answer. I don't have, I, I, I don't, as soon as I do one medium, I always want to jump to the next. So yeah, yeah. I totally understand yeah. that. Well, final few questions here. What, what's inspiring you right now? Like, is there mm. anything that you've seen recently? Music, theater, television i know i you know it's media it's, it's <laughs> been it's been interesting um because i have been i just it's so funny i just said this t- yesterday i just said god i can't wait to start um having an influx of other material coming into me yeah um other than the play because this play has required so much focus so i do feel right now like i haven't gotten to see a lot of theater i haven't gotten to you know there's yeah, so I many like i just i just have been so myopic yeah um we had a huge amount of dramaturgical information that alice gave us for this play and so I sort of submerged myself into that until I was at capacity uh, in terms of just, it was just too, I, I just couldn't. Um, I imagine it must take you a while every night to get to that place. It's, it's definitely, now it's sort of more of a, um, my body is in it, yeah. but it, it's definitely, you know, has, has required a lot of attention for sure. Um, you know, but I'm always inspired by other people's work. And, and I think that that's the thing that galvanizes me more is and more and more are just other artists. Yeah. And anytime I can go see a beautiful art exhibit or, um, another person's play or, um, read a novel that is exciting to me. You know, I have a stack of all of these things on my desk. Um, but right now it's weird. It's, it's, it's I would be able to answer that question so easily. Yeah. Um, if you, but you're immersed uh, in this work and I that's re- great. I really yeah. Am, but only for another week. Yeah. And a half. So if we talk next time, I will definitely yeah, have a bunch have you of, back uh, and talk more. For sure, for sure. Um, for, you know, those actors that were, where you were in that, you know, the Wonder Years co-star, guest star, they're struggling, you know, yeah. any, any words of advice, wisdom for those out there fighting the fight? Well, you know what? I think, um, I think that there is no sort of like, you know, you never, I never want to give a pat answer because these things are so complicated and we have chosen a really, really tough profession. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, sorry. I know that's a really loaded no, question. No, yeah. no. And all I can say is that I, I think, um, you know, being true to yourself and your own voice, the most personal is the most universal and that it's much less about trying to fit into the constraints of what you think people might want of you and try to just create your own stuff that people can see, even if it is a yeah. uh, five minute 
home movie that you make at home and you, you know, you, you put a Vimeo link together or whatever. It's like whatever we can do to create, um, and have people be able to see our work now more than ever, those kind of things can actually open get, the gates. Yeah, yeah. They really, really can. And, um, you know, and, and, and try to find, which I feel that I never did enough of hobbies that really actually other creative endeavors that, that really do feed you yeah. in those times when the desert feels longer than it should, Yeah, you know, because all the people, my friends who play guitar yeah. and make music and my friends who collage and, you know, I feel like because I started so young and I started supporting myself so young, I felt like I had to hundred percent focus on acting. And I, I wish I had sort of diversified a little just to be able to have other outlets when I'm not working. Yeah, play piano or yeah, something. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think that those things are now I realize even more important than I thought they were. Yeah. So I do feel like I guess that's what I would say is that if you can find other things that light your fire, that will always feed your work no matter what, you yeah. know? Um, so beautiful. So yeah. And then I know you spoke about, obviously, Shrikar. What, yeah. what What else is next? We know there's a um, Northern British accent movie know, coming out that I can't know, be titled. But I know. What, um, what else do we have to look forward I, to? Um, I have a... Um, I was in a movie uh, called Gunpowder Milkshake Ooh. that um, we shot in Berlin. Um this wonderful that? director, Navot Papushadu, uh, which is quite a name. Um, it, it, it was amazing. And it was with uh, Karen Gillan, Lena Headey, oh. Angela Bassett, Michelle Yeoh, and myself. Wow. And Paul Giamatti. And yeah, it's a great group of actors, but it's this um, female uh, badass uh, movie. It's so cool. Um, and uh, STX just bought it to for a worldwide release, which is a big deal because as you know, yeah. so often you do the movies and maybe no one will get to see yeah. them if somebody doesn't buy them. Yeah. So that just happened. So that'll come out. Um, and uh, and yeah, and then I have a bunch of other stuff that I'm working on on, on getting set up. And so I hope soon to have a more specific answer to Amazing. that. Amazing. Do, yeah. do you have a production? And maybe Jet Season Two. Um, Jet Season yes. Two. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I I don't have an official production company, but I do have a lot of sort of irons in the fire, and I probably should think about that at some point, making officializing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking with you, Carla. Likewise, I'm so much. Such a big fan of yours, thank and thank you. you for inspiring me and all the work you do. And I, I, I well, can't wait to see Streetcar. Well, and thank you for doing this. What a great um, place that uh, you know people can come and we can have a real conversation where you're not just sort of sound bites. You know, yeah, I you feel know, like, that's and, that, yeah. and and thank you for doing it. It means yeah. so much. You know, giving back and no, it keeps so, it keeps us all inspired. It the sure ones does. That, that we're fighting the fight. You I know? agree. No, and 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 I and I, you know, I think the thing is you have to continue to reinvent yourself and pretty much if you're if you're lucky it's like you're starting all over every time anyhow yeah. on some level so um yeah i think uh you know i don't know if patience is a virtue but it's definitely a necessity Absolutely. and i think it's actually one of the key ones in this business is just hold out and keep focused on what you love to do and uh and there's, a, there's more magic in that than you think. So, oh, so beautiful. Well, yeah. it's such a pleasure having you on. Likewise. I can talk to you for hours. Likewise. And you have to come so back soon to, sometime. Yes. All right. Um, thank so much you. love, Carla. Thank you so much. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. 